Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Thursday, September 15th. It is prophesied in the book of Amos that in the last days there would be a famine in the land, not a famine for food, but a famine for the word of God, as it is written in Amos 8, 11 and 12. Behold, the days come, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Even in the days of Joseph there were seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. He had stored up grain for the seven years of famine. The Daily Audio Torah is your storehouse where you can get grain. It is twenty minutes every day of pure scripture flowing out, living manna to feed your spirit. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Kitavo, and it means, When you go in. Deuteronomy 28, 21-41 The Lord will afflict you with diseases until none of you are left in the land you are about to enter and occupy. The Lord will strike you with wasting diseases, fever, and inflammation with scorching heat and drought, and with blight and mildew. These disasters will pursue you until you die. The skies above will be as unyielding as bronze, and the earth beneath will be as hard as iron. The Lord will change the rain that falls on your land into powder, and dust will pour down from the sky until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated by your enemies. You will attack your enemies from one direction, but you will scatter from them in another seven directions. You will be an object of horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your corpses will be food for all the scavenging birds and wild animals, and no one will be there to chase them away. The Lord will afflict you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors, scurvy, and the itch, from which you cannot be cured. The Lord will strike you with madness, blindness, and panic. You will grope around in broad daylight like a blind person groping in the darkness, but you will not find your way. You will be oppressed and robbed continually. 
and no one will come to save you. You will be engaged to a woman, but another man will sleep with her. You will build a house, but someone else will live in it. You will plant a vineyard, but you will never enjoy its fruit. Your ox will be butchered before your eyes, but you will not eat a single bite of the meat. Your donkey will be taken from you, never to be returned. Your sheep and goats will be given to your enemies, and no one will be there to help you. You will watch as your sons and daughters are taken away as slaves. Your heart will break for them, but you won't be able to help them. A foreign nation you have never heard about will eat the crops you worked so hard to grow. You will suffer under constant oppression and harsh treatment. You will go mad because of all the tragedy you see around you. The Lord will cover your knees and legs with incurable boils. In fact, you will be covered from head to foot. The Lord will exile you and your king to a nation unknown to you and your ancestors. There in exile, you will worship gods of wood and stone. You will become an object of horror, ridicule, and mockery among all the nations to which the Lord sends you. You will plant much, but harvest little, for locusts will eat your crops. You will plant vineyards and care for them, but you will not drink the wine or eat the grapes, for worms will destroy the vines. You will grow olive trees throughout your land, but you will never use the olive oil, for the fruit will drop before it ripens. You will have sons and daughters, but you will lose them, for they will be led away into captivity. Isaiah 19.1-21.17 This message came to me, Isaiah, concerning Egypt. Look, the Lord is advancing against Egypt, riding on a swift cloud. The idols of Egypt tremble, the hearts of the Egyptians melt with fear. I will make Egyptians fight against Egyptian, brother against brother, neighbor against neighbor, city against city, province against province. The Egyptians will lose heart, and I will confuse their plans. They will plead with their idols for wisdom and call on spirits, mediums, and those who consult the spirits of the dead. I will hand Egypt over to a hard, cruel master. A fierce king will rule them, says the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies. The waters of the Nile will fail to rise and flood the fields. The riverbed will be parched and dry. The canals of the Nile will dry up, and the streams of Egypt will stink with rotting reeds and rushes. All the greenery along the riverbank and all the crops along the river will dry up and blow away. The fishermen will lament for lack of work. Those who cast hooks into the Nile will groan, and those who use nets will lose heart. There will be no flax for the harvesters, no thread for the weavers. They will be in despair, and all the workers will be sick at heart. What fools are the officials of Zoan? Their best counsel to the king of Egypt is stupid and wrong. Will they still boast to Pharaoh of their wisdom? Will they dare brag about all their wise ancestors? Where are your wise counselors, Pharaoh? Let them tell you what God plans, what the Lord of Heaven's armies is going to do to Egypt. The officials of Zoan are fools, and the officials of Memphis are deluded. The leaders of the people have led Egypt astray. 
The Lord has sent a spirit of foolishness on them, so all their suggestions are wrong. They cause Egypt to stagger like a drunk in his vomit. There is nothing Egypt can do. All are helpless. The head and the tail, the noble palm branch, and the lowly reed. In that day, the Egyptians will be as weak as women. They will cower in fear beneath the upraised fist of the Lord of Heaven's armies. Just to speak the name of Israel will terrorize them, for the Lord of Heaven's armies has laid out his plans against them. In that day, five of Egypt's cities will follow the Lord of Heaven's armies. They will even begin to speak Hebrew, the language of Canaan. One of these cities will be Heliopolis, the city of the sun. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt, and there will be a monument to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness that the Lord of Heaven's armies is worshipped in the land of Egypt. When the people cry to the Lord for help against those who oppress them, He will send them a Savior who will rescue them. The Lord will make Himself known to the Egyptians. Yes, they will know the Lord and will give sacrifices and offerings to Him. They will make a vow to the Lord and will keep it. The Lord will strike Egypt and then He will bring healing. For the Egyptians will turn to the Lord and He will listen to their pleas and heal them. In that day, Egypt and Assyria will be connected by a highway. The Egyptians and Assyrians will move freely between their lands, and they will both worship God. In that day, Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth. For the Lord of Heaven's armies will say, Blessed be Egypt, my people. Blessed be Assyria, the land I have made. Blessed be Israel, my special possession. In the year when King Sargon of Assyria sent his commander-in-chief to capture the Philistine city of Ashdod, the Lord told Isaiah, son of Amos, Take off the burlap you have been wearing and remove your sandals. Isaiah did as he was told and walked around naked and barefoot. Then the Lord said, My servant Isaiah has been walking around naked and barefoot for the last three years. This is a sign a symbol of the terrible troubles I will bring upon Egypt and Ethiopia. For the king of Assyria will take away the Egyptians and Ethiopians as prisoners. He will make them walk naked and barefoot, both young and old, their buttocks bared to the shame of Egypt. Then the Philistines will be thrown into panic, for they counted on the power of Ethiopia and boasted of their allies in Egypt. They will say, If this can happen to Egypt, what chance do we have? We were counting on Egypt to protect us from the king of Assyria. This message came to me concerning Babylon, the desert by the sea. Disaster is roaring down on you from the desert like a whirlwind sweeping in from the Negev. I see a terrifying vision. I see the betrayer betraying, the destroyer destroying. Go ahead, you Elamites and Medes, attack and lay siege. I will make an end to all the groaning Babylon caused. My stomach aches and burns with pain. Sharp pangs of anguish are upon me, like those of a woman in labor. I grow faint when I hear what God is planning. I am too afraid to look. My mind reels and my heart races. 
I longed for evening to come, but now I am terrified of the dark. Look, they are preparing a great feast. They are spreading rugs for people to sit on. Everyone is eating and drinking, but quick, grab your shields and prepare for battle. You are being attacked. Meanwhile, the Lord said to me, Put a watchman on the city wall. Let him shout out what he sees. He should look for chariots drawn by pairs of horses and for riders on donkeys and camels. Let the watchman be fully alert. Then the watchman called out, Day after day I have stood on the watchtower, my lord. Night after night I have remained at my post. Now at last, look, here comes a man in a chariot with a pair of horses. Then the watchman said, Babylon is fallen, fallen. All the idols of Babylon lie broken on the ground. O my people, threshed and winnowed, I have told you everything the Lord of Heaven's armies has said, everything the God of Israel has told me. This message came to me concerning Edom. Someone from Edom keeps calling to me, Watchman, how much longer until morning? When will the night be over? The watchman replies, Morning is coming, but night will soon return. If you wish to ask again, then come back and ask. This message came to me concerning Arabia. O caravans from Didon, hide in the deserts of Arabia. O people of Tima, bring water to these thirsty people, food to these weary refugees. They have fled from the sword, from the drawn sword, from the bent bow, and the terrors of battle. The Lord said to me, Within a year, counting each day, all the glory of Kedar will come to an end. Only a few of its courageous archers will survive. I, the Lord, the God of Israel, have spoken. Galatians 2, 1-16 Then, fourteen years later, I, Paul, went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along also. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church, and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement, for fear that all my efforts had been wasted, and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Yeshua. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. 
For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Yeshua, not by obeying the Jewish traditions. And we have believed in Christ so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the Jewish traditions. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the Jewish traditions. Psalm 59, 1-17 Rescue me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who have come to destroy me. Rescue me from these criminals. Save me from these murderers. They have set an ambush for me. Fierce enemies are out there waiting, Lord, though I have not sinned or offended them. I have done nothing wrong, yet they prepare to attack me. Wake up, see what is happening, and help me. O Lord, God of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, wake up and punish those hostile nations. Show no mercy to wicked traitors. They come out at night, snarling like vicious dogs as they prowl the streets. Listen to the filth that comes from their mouths. Their words cut like swords. After all, who can hear us? They sneer. But Lord, you laugh at them. You scoff at all the hostile nations. You are my strength. I wait for you to rescue me. For you, O God, are my fortress. In his unfailing love, my God will stand with me. He will let me look down in triumph on all my enemies. Don't kill them for my people soon forget such lessons. Stagger them with your power and bring them to their knees. O Lord, our shield, because of the sinful things they say, because of the evil that is on their lips, let them be captured by their pride, their curses and their lies. Destroy them in your anger. Wipe them out completely. Then the whole world will know that God reigns in Israel. My enemies come at night, snarling like vicious dogs, as they prowl the streets. 
They scavenge for food, but go to sleep, unsatisfied. But as for me, I will sing about your power. Each morning I will sing with joy about your unfailing love. For you have been my refuge, a place of safety when I am in distress. O my strength, to you I sing praises. For you, O God, are my refuge, the God who shows me unfailing love. Proverbs 23, 13-14 Don't fail to discipline your children. The rod of punishment won't kill them. Physical discipline may well save them from death. I want to speak to you today from Galatians chapter 2. And again, we're unpacking what Paul is imploring to the Galatian church. And the issues that he was dealing with in his day is very relevant to our time today. So basically, what has often been misinterpreted and misunderstood about what Paul was saying in Galatians is that uh, the mainstream church will come and say, well, the Torah, the Old Testament, that's all been nailed to the cross, and we're no longer under the law. Now we're under Christ. Now we follow the Holy Spirit. We don't follow the Torah anymore. That's all been nailed to the cross. And that kind of thinking is replacement theology. So let's look at this in closer detail. Let's look at verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter would not eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. So, let me unpack that for you. In the Talmud, the Oral Torah, the instructions are that Jews are not to have table fellowship with non-Jews, that they're not even to be allowed to come into your home. If they are uncircumcised, they're considered, you know, unclean, and they could not have table fellowship. And in Acts chapter 15, in a different passage, the Pharisees are saying to the new believers, oh, okay, so for you to truly be saved and have salvation, you need to be circumcised. And Paul vehemently opposed them and said, no, you don't need to be circumcised in the flesh. Uh, what really matters is that they are circumcised in their heart. Their heart has been cut and they have repented and they have been born again. And by faith, they have received Yeshua as their Savior. That is what he, he was after. So where people were getting tripped up was in trying to follow the traditions of man, the traditions that are outlined in the Oral Torah in the Talmud. So let's look at this now in Galatians chapter 2. And I'm going to look at a different translation, New King James Version. Chapter 2, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Yeshua, 
Even we have believed in Christ, in Yeshua, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. I think that's a better translation than what the New Living Translation said. It was talking about obeying the law, obeying the law. And yes, we do obey the Torah, but we are walking in faith. We are born again. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, and it's by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit that we obey the Torah out of love. Verse 17, but if we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Of course not. Okay, verse 18, for if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Verse 19, for I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. Okay, so actually that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. We didn't read that far in that chapter. So basically what he's saying is that they are not to be following the traditions of man from the oral Torah and and forbid table fellowship with Gentiles and not allow them to come into your home and have a meal with you. Um, just because they're not circumcised. And this is what Peter did. At first he would eat with the Gentiles in Antioch, and then when some of the fellow Jewish believers came along, James and his friends, then Peter stopped having table fellowship with these Gentile believers. And Paul called him out on it. So in another place, a cross-reference scripture I want to look at with you, it is in Colossians, Chapter 2, verses 13 to 14. This is, again, it's Paul speaking. This is the New King James that I'm reading. Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, what are the, the handwriting of requirements? Some would misinterpret that to say, well, that's the Torah, that's the Old Testament, that's what's been nailed to the cross. That is completely wrong. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, that word requirements in the Greek is dogma or in the king james the word is not requirements in the king james the word is ordinances and again that word ordinances in the greek is dogma so in other words it's the idea of man-made rules and regulations the rules and requirements coming from the oral torah Okay, so that's what Paul is railing against and pushing back against. So basically, he's saying that we are identified in Yeshua's death 
and we are identified in his resurrection to new life, and that when we are born again and his spirit comes to live and dwell within us, that we are to walk as he walked and be led by the Holy Spirit, and we are to follow the written Torah, not the oral Torah, the written Torah, by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, and that we are made right with God the Father by faith in Yeshua, not by works of the flesh, not by works of the law, because apart from Christ, we cannot do that. We cannot keep the law. One last final example I'll give to you that maybe helps to clarify this is that it it could be likened to a parable. And here's the parable that uh, there was a time when I was married to somebody called Mr. Law. And Mr. Law was always showing me where I was faulty and where I would fall short and where he would show me my sin. And I'd be riding along on my horse following this road and then I would fall off my horse and Mr. Law, my husband, would say to me, there you go again, you screwed up, you fell off the horse, you sinned, you fell short. And then I died and I became born again and now I don't ha- I'm not married to Mr. Law anymore because I died. I died to him and I died to that marriage. Now I'm married to Mr. Christ. He's now my husband. And so I'm going along on the road on my horse, and I might fall off my horse again. And Yeshua, my new husband, Mr. Christ, he comes along and he says, Oops, I see you fell off the horse. I'm going to help you do better. Here, let me help you get back up on the horse. Let me give you a lift up. And so now I am married to Mr. Christ, to Mr. Yeshua. I'm no longer married to Mr. Law. The law shows me my sin. Yeshua empowers me to repent of my sin and to walk a holy life. Okay, have a blessed day and we'll see you tomorrow. Shalom. Vish Mareka Yaya Adonai Anavilaka Vikuneka Yisa Adonai The Aaronic Blessing from Numbers Chapter 6, 24 to 26 Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.